Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie and we continue uh, with the season finale of Mind Over Matter and today I've got a wonderful guest on this show, Shamil. He's a sports scientist, psychologist and healer and I, I, I don't know too much about you so I've got so much to learn in this, in this chat and I really hope that you guys can resonate with this, you can take something away from this. It's been a wonderful season of talking to some really amazing people. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. So, firstly, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Thank you for doing this. Um, tell us, firstly, about the work you do, about your ba- a bit about your background and just about the work that you're primarily doing. So, uh, my career started off as a sports scientist where I looked predominantly at the physiology of the body. So, I looked at uh, how we train a professional athlete, the muscles, the conditioning. Uh, and then I realized very, very quickly that, uh, and very early in my career, that I can't actually impact a muscle if I didn't understand how a muscle works. So I went deep into the physiology uh, and into the micronutrients and the trace elements that got got a muscle to function because if the primary uh, nutrients that were in the muscle were restricted or limited, Mm -hmm. then I would couldn't get that muscle to function like how I wanted to. So Mm -hmm. I started going deep into that. And then uh, probably about four years after I really started working with professional athletes, I had an incident where one of my cricketers was in extremely good form. You know, he was in the best form of his life. And uh, he went out to bat at a test match and uh, he nicked the first ball that went and uh, he got dropped and then he missed the next two and then he nicked the fourth one and got off a zero. And uh, he was deeply devastated and he stood quiet for the whole evening. And when I went and asked him, he said somebody in uh, in the crowd just told him something. You know, he doesn't even know who this person is. They just you know, they told him something about a grip on his hand and he was playing on his mind. And, and then I realized that, you know, the mind has got a lot more to do with everything mm. than, than we actually realize. So I took a deep dive into psychology. And uh, the area that I a lot of worked in psychology is childhood schemas. So I looked at what happens in the first seven years of a child. What are the subconscious programs that are placed in a child that affect the way we, we behave and we react to situations thereafter. Mm. And... Um, and then I think because I spent four years in an ashram as a monk, I take a very spiritual approach to everything. I don't look at anything from a diagnosis point of view. I look at it that we are suffering because we haven't been able to bring awareness to a particular problem. So I use a process of bringing awareness to a problem. Mm-hmm. And I believe that uh, your thoughts trigger emotions and your emotions can change your cell biology. Yeah. Right? So I work on that entire premise of creating an awareness around a problem be it physical or psychological. Mm-hmm. And once I create an awareness around it, I shift the mind from a past state of illness to a future state of rejuvenation and then let the cell biology work itself. So, I mean, that sounds like quite an intricate process. <laughs> it is. How, how does that work then? How does the healing process work? Like if, if I was to come to you and, you know, I was going through something, what would be that, pro- what would that process essentially look like? So pretty much will identify what the problem is. Some problems are purely physical. So for example, if someone is training or someone's got an injury, you know, it's a physical and we can use a physical intervention. We can do some dry needling, some mobilization, some acupuncture, and and this would pretty much sort out that problem. Uh, If it's a chronic inflammation and a chronic process, there's a good chance there's an emotional trigger linked to that. And there's a science called New German Medicine, which I use. 
and New German Medicine was founded by Dr. Ray Hummer in the 1950s where he started tracking the emotional triggers behind every chronic pain and inflammation in the body to a type of conflict. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we can reverse engineer it by knowing where your symptoms manifest. So just by understanding where you're getting pain, where you're getting inflammation, we can reverse engineer it to the type of conflict that we have. Mm. We try to find that conflict in your life and we try to heal you by bringing awareness to that conflict. Wow. And, and then uh, if you're finding it very difficult, then I use a subconscious technique where I take someone through the five different types of brain waves. There okay. is uh, your delta brain wave is where you sleep. Your theta brain wave is where you learn. Mm -hmm. Your alpha brain wave is in the now. Your beta brain wave is your consciousness. And your gamma brain wave is your super consciousness. So I tap into people's theta state, right? Because that's the state in which these subconscious programs were written. Mm. And that's where I go in and I heal it through various meditative techniques and through various hypnotherapy techniques, mm. etc. So, I mean, a lot of people, like, there is a saying, which is, you know, thoughts become things. And, yes. you know, we're always um, speaking about that, about what we're subconsciously consuming all around us, whatever that is. And, and yeah. like you, you use the incident of that cricket match and yes. what somebody said. Um, so how much do you agree with that, uh, the fact that thoughts do become things? And how much is, how much is really internal? Because I, I feel like it's always internal before you get external symptoms. Yeah, correct. Healing is an inside-out process. Mm. No, no, uh, there's no doubt about that. Mm. And the reason why my journey particularly has been quite fascinating is uh, I started off with biomechanics and training the body. And if you look at training, we train for an hour a day. Then I looked in at the nutrition and I looked at the uh, trace elements, amino acids that go into the function of muscle because I thought, okay, we're training once a day, uh, but we eat seven to eight times a day. So obviously that's got to be more important than the one hour of training. Mm. And then I went into psychology because we actually have 60,000 thoughts a day that run through our mind. So if you look at the pure numbers of it, if it can create an impact on what we bring the most of, it would be able to bring the greatest impact to our body. Mm. You know? So I have flipped it on its head. Uh, if you spoke to me 15 years ago and I told you training is the most important thing, if you spoke to me eight years ago, I told you nutrition is the most important thing. Today, okay. I'm telling you it's the quality of your thoughts that can literally heal you because it's what wow. we do the most. Wow, wow. And obviously, the work you do involves you interacting with a whole bunch of different kinds of people. Correct. Have you noticed over time the people that you were interacting with, perhaps when you, when you had this theology of it yeah. being more about the training or more about yeah. the nutrition, um, till up until this point, have you noticed a change in just the problems that people are coming to you with? Has it increased? Has the stress got more? Because it just seems like we're in a generation where a, a lot of so mental health awareness month, um, you know, we, we're always reading about anxiety on the increase, depression on the increase, all of these things. But it seems to be like, even in terms of my memory as, you know, in the last 10 years, for example, I feel like it's on the increase, all of these problems, or is it just that we, we're becoming more aware of it? No, it's definitely on the increase. And there's, there are many reasons to this. Yeah. So the type of problems I was dealing with 15 years ago and the type of problems I'm dealing now are literally on completely different poles. Wow. And I don't think it's because of the fact that these problems didn't exist back then. It's because the lens through which I looked at it was completely different. Now I approach life mm. through a much more holistic lens. But I'll tell you the problem stems from a lot from our environment. So my premise with how I work is 
I work on the concept of balance, okay? And I use science and spirituality to navigate balance. And it's a balance between uh, the body and the mind, your relationships and your environment. So any single thing that you want to change, you need to bring changes within these four things. Anything, whether you want to lose weight, whether you want to sort out a relationship, whether you want to be more successful, you want to earn more money, you want a better family, whatever you want to, you'll need to change it within these four aspects. Mm. Okay? And when I look at the concept of balance, I look at if I give you two one kg weights and I give you a solid piece of wood and I give you a single nail, you'll be able to balance that. If I give you the same solid piece of wood with the exact same one kg weights, but I give you a water balloon, you'll never be able to balance that because the integrity of the central point is compromised. You know, a nail is solid, a water balloon is soft. It doesn't have integrity. The fulcrum, the central point is representative of you as a person. Mm. So your integrity, your ability to self-love and develop yourself and understand yourself is directly proportional to how you will bring four elements into balance mm. as such. You know? mm. So my entire premise is about looking at things like this. So like I said, I deal now with uh, patients who are terminally ill. You know, I deal with a lot of chronic pain, a lot of chronic inflammation. And my job is to bring awareness to this. Yeah. Because awareness is, is like energy. Energy is like water. When you put water into a garden, the weeds will grow and the flowers will grow. Energy will not uh, distinguish between these two. Mm. You know, it's the same thing with the energy of your mind. It's the same thing with your awareness. Okay, the way you put your awareness, that will flourish. True. And we have put our awareness towards the wrong thing. So my job now is to shift awareness towards healing patterns, shift awareness towards the thing that's making you sick and how do we navigate away from that. Mm. Because there's a fundamental premise around which we move and, we, and around which we heal the body. The environment that made you sick cannot heal you. Mm. Something has to change. Right. And taking the, do you feel like a lot of people are very, um, what would the right, right word be? I mean, are they very receiving of, of this holistic approach? Because, again, you know, this generation is all about fast results, mm. want it there and now. How long does this kind of process take when you work with somebody? Do you see a, a change immediately or is there a significant period of time they need to be, you know, continuously in this process? So it's quite amazing, for example. Um, the process of healing can be anything from spontaneous to literally four to six weeks. You can re literally reverse this. And the ticking thing for me or, the, or the, the tipping point as such is when you actually tell someone what is the conflict that's causing that pain. Because they've come to you and they've not told you anything about their life, mm. you know, but you know where the pain is. And, you, and you're telling them that the reason you're having this pain is because of this type of conflict in your life. And then... The, it's a light bulb moment for them because I don't know anything about them and how would on earth would I have known that they have mm. this type of conflict for example mm. uh, I'll give you a, an example is I had a, an old patient who was 76 year old male came in and he had uh, testicular and prostate enlargement okay and he'd been on medication for eight months okay and uh, he says he's been through doctors they've changed his medication four to five times and he's in a lot of pain so I told him initially, no, I don't treat prostate and I can't, I can't help you with this. And then he says, no, someone's told me that you have to help me, you're the only guy. So I said, okay, uh, I can help you if you're honest with me. So I said, how many children do you have? And he says, I have two daughters. So I said, how healthy is that relationship? Okay. And he says, the relationship is perfectly fine. So I said, you know, I can't help you because you're not being honest. Okay. Prostate enlargement. 
testicular enlargement comes from a disconnect with a loved one when the source of your love is wow. now causing you pain which means it's and i know your wife is fine because she's sitting with you right here so right. the only the other people are the kids mm. right so which means that the kids are generally should be your source of love should be a source of nourishment and there would have been a complete disconnect so either one, you'd have lost a child if someone would have passed away or that child would have completely disconnected from you there's no communication no speaking nothing and as a parent you are struggling to come to terms with that loss okay this in males will manifest as a prostate or testicular enlargement wow, right okay. and when i told him this he he just started crying you know because there's no way i would know this but the body is telling us what is wrong and all i do is i join the dots so when i tell someone that this is a conflict and they resonate with it then they're more open to the healing process so the lesson for us then is to be more aware of our bodies right because i mean we i feel like we are our best friend in a way you know we should know our bodies more totally. than anyone else you know we tend to get that feeling when we know we're about to be sick or our immunity is low yeah. or something's off but often people don't know especially with these silent things and there's, yeah. there's many kind of uh, diseases and conditions which are are more silent and don't necessarily manifest in a loud, loud way yeah. um so how can we then as individuals on a daily basis stay stay more in tune with ourselves and listen to our bodies so i think the first thing starts with cleaning up your gut because your gut is affecting your brain and the fact that your brain is compromised means your ability to perceive what your body is trying to tell you or your ability to stay focused for long enough to actually receive these signals is compromised so mm. what i mean is that uh there things called xenoestrogens the toxins the pesticides in our food the more of this you consume mm. the more of these of these toxins that get into your body they migrate from your blood stream into your brain and they compromise what's called uh your blood brain barrier these are directly related to all mental disorders your stress your anxiety your sleep disorders early onset parkinsons all early onset alzheimers every single mental condition or sleep disorder that you get is directly proportional to the hormones in your meats the pesticides in your vegetables and the xenoestrogens coming from your plastics and your refreshness okay if we don't clean up our body right our brain is compromised as long as your brain is compromised you will not be able to focus for long enough to listen to the signals that your body is giving you your body will show you a lot of signs it will start with very subtle signs mm. and if you miss it the signs will come bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until some signs as big as a cancer or tumor in your body you know yeah. there was a sign there was a sign 6 months ago which you didn't see you know so mm. the point is how do we bring our awareness to this and one of the best ways to bring your awareness to this is to cleanse your environment mm. you know make sure that the people you surrounded with are loving Right. Make sure that the the relationship with these people is pure, so that the feedback you're getting from these people is honest. If you're completely scattered amongst a million people, you don't know which signals to trust. If sure. you are polluting your body, you don't know whether what you're feeling is a result of that pollutant or it's actually a signal from your brain. So mm-hmm. the first step. for every single person remember healing is a long process mm. and le- healing is a lifestyle it can't happen monday to friday and you take saturday sunday off okay. it's a lifestyle so you have to start by cleaning your body and the more you clean your body the more you clean your mind uh, the more likely you will be in tune with these signals yeah 
So uh, really be mindful of your space and your energy as well, who you spend time with. Yeah, it all comes into consideration. It all comes in, yeah. Yeah. So what what actually inspired you to get into this, other than, of course, that incident that you mentioned, but what what was your, or who, if any, were were inspirations to you to to get involved in this space? So there was no real inspirations. I've just been completely fascinated with knowledge. I study, I think uh, I read a book a week, I, I study about maybe uh, I'm still back at university doing another master's now in psychology <laughs> and neuroscience again. Uh, I do four to five diplomas in addition to that a year. I, I'm truly fascinated with learning. But there are a few things that actually stood out. One is that uh, of every single profession, mm. right, doctors have got the lowest lifespan. They've got the average, the average lifespan is 56 years old. Okay. Doctors have got the highest rate of alcohol abuse and the highest suicide rate, yeah. second only to psychiatrists. Now, that, that really opened my eyes because mm. I said, the guy I'm going to in an expectation to heal me is actually the most sick person and he doesn't even know that. Mm. Okay. Then I looked at, okay, let's look at cancer. Right? And I take an oncologist. An oncologist would go to, to medical school for seven years to get an MBBS and then he would uh, do probably about six years of specialization. Mm. So he studied for 13 years. Now, you can go and ask any single person on the road and they'll tell you that if you get cancer, the first thing you should change is the alkalinity of your water and the type of food that you eat it. Your food can really help you and change everything. Really? In 13 years, that doctor has not even done two days of nutrition work. Right? So, the primary reason and mm. the primary thing that can actually heal you, the person who we're going to doesn't have that knowledge. You know? Right. So, this really... It really threw the canvas wide, and it and and I was and a lot of light bulbs went up because I realized that uh, healing is literally your responsibility. Mm. You know, medicine is going to keep prescribing drugs to you, and and that's what they want to. And no matter how well wishing these guys are, okay, it's just that they're so ignorant; they just don't have enough information to be able to to heal you. So uh, I took it upon myself to really understand this whole thing. What is the intersection point between the metaphysical body between your chakras and and the universe between psychology and your thoughts and how it manifests in your physical body Mm. you know and i'm trying to just bring these three worlds together and see where they intersect yeah that's a very interesting point that you made yeah so now that you've you've said that i think that is very interesting because you would expect those people to to be the ones who take care of themselves the most correct um, but yeah it, studies show otherwise so yeah. that's incredible so you know a lot a lot of uh, topics these days are you know 10 ways to do this 10 ways to do that the topic of keeping a work work and uh, personal life kind of balance which people struggle with and I don't think it's ever really a 50-50 balance it can never be it can never be yeah. so I mean how do we how do we keep some kind of a balance how do you know what 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 are we supposed to do to kind of manage all these departments in our life and and still be happy without obviously there's going to be moments of stress but controlling that stress on on a daily basis yeah uh you know i'm still trying to coin a word for it i i I toss between what's called anti-balance and anti-equilibrium uh Balance is two things need to be equal and opposite. Equilibrium is the same as when something goes out, then equilibrium is a change that you make to bring it back into balance. Mm. But if you look at it, all of these terms only describe physical. Okay. Yeah. Now, work-life balance as such 
you ask any person and he will never feel that he has work-life balance. And the reason why he doesn't is because he's working 10 hours and he's seeing his family for two hours. Okay, so by the definition of balance, something needs to be equal and opposite. But the truth is that we don't have a word that mm. where you can hedge the quality of those two hours against the quantity of those 10 hours. And that is the secret to life. That's the secret to balance. Yeah. The secret of balance is that sometimes, you know, you don't always offset something by the same metric. Mm -hmm. So if you want to achieve work-life balance, you don't look at how many hours you're spending at home. You look at the quality of those hours. Right. You look at the quality of those relationships, the right. quality of those time, the quality of those decisions. Mm. You know, that's how you offset it. And if you can bring your mindfulness and you can bring your awareness to this, mm. then you will achieve work-life balance. And even the people at home would be quite happy. The yeah. problem is, if you come home only for two hours and you're completely distracted, no one's going to be happy. Hmm. So it comes back to, to awareness. To it comes awareness. back to how are you centering your life and what are your priorities and, and how do you understand it. Hmm. And was there a period in your life at all or an incident which you can share where, you know, for you it was like a moment of adversity or something very challenging that you personally went through and, you know, all of this that you're talking about, you really applied it to your own life and, and saw... A yeah, significant totally. change. Uh, I grew up in South Africa and I love to play cricket. So I, I want to play cricket for the country and I played uh, the South African universities team. I was in the state teams, the national teams. And when I crossed over to 18, uh, I couldn't play for the national team because we had the apartheid, which meant people of mm. color could not play. It was an institutionalized segregation against people of color, which is mm. colored, Indian and black. Okay, So you were really good and then all of a sudden you turn 18 and you no matter how good you are you mm. can't play because there's only one person of color from a population of 70 percent of the country can play for that national team and and so it was very disheartening and i automatically decided to start studying sports science and start looking at performance and enhancement and and i had to retire from playing and i started working with people who kept me out of the team the very next day after I made this decision. Mm -hmm. And I stayed in it for about two or three years and I realized that, you know, uh, I was struggling. I was struggling, I was 18 years old, 19 years old, I was struggling seeing others performing, I was struggling to help them, re realizing that I'm so much better and I should be there and that should have been my opportunity. I didn't like who I was becoming. I was becoming a bitter person, mm. you know. I was not angry, I was never vengeful, but inside I saw myself changing. And, and, and it was a day, I remember, uh, I went to work and I drove straight from work to the temple and I, and I decided to just stay in the temple. Yeah, and I lived there for almost three and a half years. And I went in with the single sole goal of understanding myself and developing myself more. Mm -hmm. okay? uh, because I realized that if I walked down this road, with this anger, with this vengeance that I had within me or that was cultivating in me, I was not going to become a person even I would have recognized. Right. And, and, and the process of staying in the temple was beautiful because I found myself, I found uh, spirituality, I found faith, I found belief. But more importantly than anything else, I realized that there's nothing in this world worth saying that cannot be said without love and compassion. You know, mm. And that for me is the most important lesson. And after three and a half years, when I came out of the temple, I came out with one single goal, was to take that message to the world. That no matter what you're facing, right, mm. you can say your message with love and compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So, I mean, we've just done a series uh, which is ending uh, this coming Sunday, which is the finale of Faith in the Storm, and it's all about spirituality and faith. How much of 
the faith side, how much has that had an impact in your life and how important is it in your opinion to have faith in something other than yourself, something bigger than yourself? Um, of course, dependent on your belief system. I, I think uh, faith is the bedrock of everything for mm. me. I am a scientist though, so I do constantly search for answers, mm -hmm. but I am constantly aware of the fact that science is only what we've been able to prove at this point in time. True. And it may not necessarily be the best answer, and it may not necessarily mean that is an answer in permanence. It could change tomorrow. Mm. You know? So. I'm constantly in search of answers, mm -hmm. but faith is a bedrock around which I approach. Every single day I wake up, uh, I'm grateful that I've woken up. 160,000 people don't wake up every single day. Yeah. You know? So my day starts with gratitude. I practice a lot of compassion, a lot of love, and I believe sincerely that in the power of reciprocity, which means what I put out into the universe will come back into me. You know? and, and that's what I practice. My life is only that. Yeah. So And that comes from from an understanding of faith that, that we are here. And I was asked an interesting question once, but someone asked me, as a scientist, how can you believe in life after death? And I said, there's only one reason why I believe in life after death. I could give you a hundred reasons from the Bhagavad Gita and the Srimad Bhagavad that would validate this and explain this. Mm. But I'm gonna give you a very logical and very simple reason. If there was only one life, mm. if this was the only life, mm. and, and then it started at zero and it ended when we died, Who's calling the shots and why is a child in Ethiopia struggling and why is one person born with a hundred million dollars? If we all were starting from the same plane, mm. right, then why is there so much of discrepancy? Just the simple fact that we're born into different situations means something must have happened because I refuse to believe that the universe is that unfair. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that is my only reason that I tell people why I believe that in multiple lives. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> well, it's been like such a varied but very <laughs> interesting chat. I just want to end this whole conversation sure. by doing a very fun round, sure, a sure, fun sure. thing with you. And uh, yeah, it's a very eye-opening, definitely <laughs> with the, the, the psychology aspect of it, I found very interesting. Um, so fun round, just Bombay is a, is a mad, crazy totally. place. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult to find uh, peace. In, in this place, but if, if there is a place where you like to go to just to escape, whether it's your home or a certain place outside, what would that place be? The place is, we're sitting in the place where I... <laughs> this is the place. This is the place, and then in the evenings, uh, I like to go to Mount Mary. Okay. In, we live in Bandra, so yeah. Mount Mary is a very peaceful place. It is. So I generally go and hang out there. Yeah, and, and, and how important is it to, to have that kind of place? Because I just feel like it's, you know, we're in this constant hustle and bustle totally. and it's just, it's insane. Like, and, and I, I actually, when I go back to London, I feel like it's suddenly slower paced than Bombay because it's just here. You know, it's, it's amazing you ask this question. I tell people, whenever you go through any trauma in life, any, all of us go through so much of yeah. problems, the first thing is you get friends that come and surround you. Right, yeah. and they tell you it's okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, mm. and and that's called a tribe mentality. Yeah. And six months later, you find I'm still in pain. I'm still lonely. I'm still suffering. You know, no matter what people are telling me, I'm still suffering. And and then you make a conscious decision that you know what, I'm going to fix this. Right, mm. and you move into an individual mentality. And an individual mentality is where you take action to change your life. Right? Mm. So tribe mentality makes you feel really good. Individual mentality. Individual mentality is where you take actionable steps to move your life in the direction that you want to. Mm. And that can only happen in solitude. So I keep telling people, the more you get comfortable with being alone, finding that space, 
the more you're giving your chance to create actionable steps to move your life in the direction that you want. Wow, you're the first person who said that. That's very <laughs> interesting. That's great. And what would you, if you could go back and tell your younger self anything, what would that be? I'd tell my younger self uh, to not be scared. You know, I came from, uh, I suffered from a perfectionism schema, you know, so <laughs> yeah. a perfect, I, I'm a middle child and I carried that identity for a very, very long time in my life. I think sometimes I still carry it where I think um, I see, I validate myself through my achievements in the outside world. Okay. I think a lot of us do. A lot of us do. Yeah. And, and, and I want to tell, if I tell myself that fail fast, try, go out there, what happens to anything you try is not a reflection of who you are. Mm. So don't worry. Don't worry. That, yeah, <laughs> don't worry. Yeah, that's such a good piece of advice. I think I, yeah, I, I can definitely resonate with that. I feel like, you know, you in this, in this culture of just achievement, 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 it's very hard also not to compare to other people. You know, Correct. this comparing just doesn't bring any contentment at all. Totally. So yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good one. And last but not least, um, complete the sentence. Health is wealth because... Health is wealth because we have nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> Your health is everything. It is. It really is. Totally. And especially after this conversation, I yeah. think you <laughs> confirmed it and it's like cemented for sure. <laughs> well, it's been so amazing talking to you. I Thank think you uh, the audience will have so much to absorb in this conversation. Thank you very and much. Uh, definitely. Um, you're on social media. I'm going to be tagging you if anyone please. wants to get in touch and you know has more questions. Then please do reach out. And uh, yeah, I hope I hope we meet again and have many totally. more conversations. I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. It thank you. Thank you.